Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I personally think that there is much more to be found out about this. It was not an accident. It was a profound tragedy thought of it lives with me every day. It is my fondest hope before I die that the full truth of this will come out because I don't believe it has yet. I think she married the wrong person. She married too young and it transformed her life completely. I think she might have been destined for an entirely different existence had she not married the Prince of Wales. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Fatal Voyage, Diana Case Solved. I'm homicide detective Colin McLaren, and along with investigative journalists Dylan Howard and Aaron Tinney and French paparazzo photographer Pierre, I've come to Paris to once again investigate the sudden shocking death of Diana, Princess of Wales, 22 years ago. Over the past 11 episodes, we've discussed possible motives for murder. In another century, she would have been sent to the Tower of London and executed for talking like that about the monarch. But she did it, and she did it on BBC, and it was a time bomb. There were factions around the world who said that Diana was meddling in something she didn't understand, because the Landman campaign was worth billions to certain countries. Princess Diana herself believed strongly that she was going to be murdered and she predicted how she would be murdered. She said that she would be murdered in a car crash orchestrated to look like an accident and she very firmly blamed her husband for being behind that plot. I think for the Queen it was the last straw. That was the last straw. She just thought, this has got to end. I can't deal with this anymore. None of us can. We've looked at all the conspiracy theories. Typically, most of them outlandish. It's not easy to know that your child been slaughtered, right, by a bunch of gangsters whom they call themselves the British royal family. And the head of the British royal family himself, Prince Philip, he's a Nazi at the core. And some of them, to this day, remain unexplained. They presented Robin and I with a copy of the deposition that we had given over 10 years earlier. That deposition was redacted 80%. So why would the French police, from the statement I gave in 1997, need to redact it? I don't know the answer to that. I always believed and will always believe that there had to be a reason that they did not want me to be on that stand. And I believe it to this day. And I do believe it had something to do with what I saw and what I was able to validate. And we've listened to the verdicts of the official inquests into Diana's death. Just before 4.30, the jury forewoman got to her feet in a courtroom packed with lawyers. 
and with Mohammed Al Fayed and Diana's sister, Lady Sarah McCorkadale, both watching. The verdicts, she said, were of unlawful killing, with the following causes of the crash the speed and driving of the Mercedes, the speed and driving of the following vehicles, and the impairment of Henri Paul. And we've seen how the slapdash and inept treatment of the crash scene has meant vital evidence would have been lost, destroyed, or tainted by the French police. Police in Paris put it on the back of a flatbed Renault truck with flashing lights, and once affixed to the truck, it was driven away. There's the recognizable back end of the Mercedes sedan, and there is the unrecognizable front end after what must have been what almost uh, to a person, everyone who has come on the air tonight agrees, was a high-speed collision there in Paris tonight. Dodi Al-Fayed dead, Princess Diana dead at the age of 36. Now it's time to review the evidence my team and I have collected. We have revisited the crash site where we meticulously recorded skid marks and damage to the wall of the tunnel. As leading automotive engineer and expert of ABS braking systems, Vincent Messina explained to me, those marks were able to give us a definitive picture of Diana's speeding car's last moments. And we spoke to Sabine, a vital witness who, along with her husband, saw a white Fiat Uno exiting the tunnel after the crash. We just had a dinner on, on this side, on the left bank, and uh, we crossed the bridge, the bridge de l'Alma, a little bit after midnight. And just at that point, at the end of the tunnel, we uh, met the Fiat Uno. He was uh, zigzagging, we thought he was drunk. When I looked at the car, there were a bump on the car and scratch on the paint of the car. Just to stay on the damage on the side of the car, do you think it was on the driver's door or the passenger door? No, in the back. The back. Mm -hmm. From a tail light Behind forward. the driver on the left. Sabine also gave me a very clear description of the driver of that car and drew a compelling sketch of the Fiat and the damage alongside the vehicle. He was a small, uh, with a short black hair and uh, a, a tan skin. He was looking uh, in his mirror, agitated. And on the back of the seats, there were a dog, a big dog, and he was having a muzzle, an orange muzzle. As part of the French inquiry into the death of Diana, two possible owners of white Fiat's were identified. One was a paparazzi named James Anderson, who three years later committed suicide in the south of France and has been properly eliminated. The other was a French Vietnamese national called Lee Van Tan. At one stage, a man of Vietnamese ancestry was identified as a possible suspect of driving the car with a dog in the back. There were suspicions that this gentleman, who I think was working in a security capacity somewhere in Paris, was involved. And it was said at the time that his car had been repaired and indeed repainted. Lee Van Tan did indeed live in Paris, and he did indeed have a fear that was painted subsequently. He was initially mentioned as a possible driver of the white fear, and there's a lot of press and speculation about him, but...
Lee Van Tan not only fitted Sabine's description perfectly, he also owned a Fiat Uno exactly matching the make and model that scratched Diana's Mercedes. And what's more, he actually re-sprayed his car red within hours of the crash. And part of his job as a security guard, he had two guard dogs with muzzles exactly like the dog Sabine had seen wearing a muzzle. And yet for some reason I've never been able to work out, Lee Van Tan has never given evidence at any of the official inquests into Diana's death. I believe he's the key to solving this mystery. It's time to find Lee Van Tan ourselves. The same man Lord Stevens said was so impossible to find. We are in Paris attempting to find answers to the most elusive question in modern day history. Who or how Princess Diana was killed? At the moment, we're in the middle of the streets of Paris. In the car, we have Colin McLaren. Colin is a retired Victoria Police homicide detective from Australia who has been researching this case for close to a decade. We have investigative journalist Aaron Tinney from the National Enquirer who has been doggedly attempting to get answers to this elusive mystery for the last two years and has broken new ground in uncovering new information. And also in the car is Pierre Sue, who is a photographer and journalist and is guiding us through the streets of Paris. Where are we at the moment, Pierre? We're just outside of Paris, um, on the, near the river, the Seine River, uh, in a city called uh, Neuilly. So, where are we on our way to now? We are on our way to uh, and Trans house. He was uh, the owner of the famous Fiat Uno, um, and he lives uh, in the suburbs about an hour away from Paris. Colin, why is Lee Van Tan important to this story? There's no doubt whatsoever forensically that Lady Dana's car, which is a 280 model Mercedes that she um, subsequently was killed in, it was hit by another car um, seconds, a millisecond or two before it, when it was out of control. In fact, it caused it to be out of control. And that second car, that other car, has been proven through paint sampling, forensically, to be a Fiat Uno. And a huge search for Fiat Unos all around Europe, and particularly in, in and around Paris, was able to, what we call, prove by way of elimination, all other white Fiat Unos. And, and it's the biggest production car in Europe back then. And it nailed down to just a handful of cars. And then, of course, you keep scaling that down and there's no doubt in my mind the car was owned by a fellow called Lee Van Tan and he is a French national of Vietnamese ethnicity and he and his father and family were living in Paris. He was a security guard working in Paris and the interesting thing is his father was approached by the media way back then and he admitted that his son came home that night panicking and decided to change the colour of his car from white to red. That sounds highly unusual. No one comes home after anything and decides, I want to change my car from white to red. And if you look at the job he did in the actual repainting of his car from white to red, it's pretty sloppy. It's been done very hastily, lots of overspray. There's been no quality put into it like you'd expect. In fact, Lee Van Tan said, and his father said, that Lee's own brother facilitated the repainting of the car 
So what happened for, for Lee Van Tan to cause him to do such a shoddy job on his little Fiat Uno? Um, it gets worse than that, but that's the start of the game. Aaron, you have also attempted to speak to Lee Van Tan, but more importantly, you've spoken to authorities that investigated Diana's death in London. And surprisingly and somewhat curiously, they told you recently that they had reached back out to Lee Van Tan and wanted to speak to him. Colin, why do you think he doesn't want to answer questions? I guess he doesn't want to be known in history, really, if I can use a metaphor, as the man who shot Liberty Valens. I don't believe he has anything to worry about. I don't think he's got any, any blame whatsoever. I think he was as innocent to the whole thing as Lady Diana herself was. With Lee Van Tan, I believe, sneaking away from work early that day, that night, after midnight, and he was just quietly approaching a merge lane onto what is essentially a freeway. He was ambling along home, and I think sneaking off work early. We all do it, we've all done it. And, and all of a sudden this juggernaut comes out from his left, out of nowhere. Pierre, where are we? So we are by uh, Lee Van Tan's house. We are getting to his gate, which is this one right here. So there's a sign out the front here. For construction work. For construction work, but it names Lee Van Tan. As the owner. As the owner of the house. For 22 years, Lee Van Tan has refused to speak to anybody about the events of August the 31st, 1997, except to me. And if he only gave us a few minutes of his time, he nonetheless let slip with an absolute bombshell. In retrospect, having now considered in totality what Lee Van Tan told us, how significant and meaningful is it to our overall investigation? Lee Van Tan is the enigma that is attached to this investigation. He always has been. For 22 years, everybody's tried to unravel him, talk to him. And in this time, just yesterday when we finished talking to him, he consistently does not say to me, to us, that he had nothing to do with this. You've got the wrong man. I was not part of any of this. My car wasn't involved. I wish he would. Then I'd say, okay, I'll go away. He's always that enigma. He's always unexplained. He's always almost a tease. What he did say to us was, I was told by the police not to have any comment, not to get involved or talk to the English police. Now, that is not proper procedure, that's hindrance. That's against an open-minded investigation. And that it's, is, it's tantamount to obstruction of justice. I would have thought so. However, that's what he says, and we heard that loud and clear. He also says that when I asked him about the quickness, within hours of painting his car from white to red, and it was a very sloppy job, a panicked job, why did you do that then? Tell me about that. It's within hours of the death of Lady Diana, the accident. He then came out with this extraordinary comment that what else was he to do? He has no money at all, and all he had was his brother who was a mechanic, and they re-sprayed the car hours after Lady Diana. Well, if he had no money at all, why would you have any need to spray a car anyway? And then he said it had many dents. Now that's a different thing altogether than respraying a car because you don't like the colour white and you want a sexy colour red. What he said in that is clear that he had a white coloured car, it became full of dents, 
and he then urgently, within hours of the death of Lady Di, decided to repaint it red hastily, even though he had no money. So if you put it all together, there's consistencies that Lee Van Tan is the answer to all of this, and you were there talking to us. He seemed smug, he had this lovely smile on his face, he was just playing the same old Lee tease. The fact that he said that French authorities told him not to say anything suggests to me that there is a conspiracy of silence. Should Operation Pageant, or indeed another independent task force, be established to conclusively prove beyond all reasonable doubt, based on what we've learned, the information we've gathered, the interviews we've conducted as part of this groundbreaking podcast that Lady Diana died because of a natural accident and Lee Van Tan was the driver of the car that collided with her Mercedes. I think so. In fact, I think that this must be remembered for what it was. It was the biggest outpouring of grief the world's ever seen. There's been no other measure greater than the grief attached to the death of Lady Diana and a funeral. And of course, after the grief's gone, you're looking for answers. There's not been a full set of answers. This enigma still sits there, and I believe it's a shocking example of the French and British justice. I think the British detectives are wonderful, the best in the business, and I think a new set of best in the business detectives should approach this and approach it not from the politics of it or the emotion of it or the embarrassment of one thing or another to do with it. Get on with it. The crime scene is still there and come up with a proper answer to warrant this massive outpouring of grief that once was. I just think that Diana was probably the most misrepresented and misinterpreted woman of our generation. No one really knew the woman that I knew. You knew the icon on the world stage, but if you could have known how vulnerable she was behind closed doors, she was very simple in lots of ways. She didn't want much. She didn't ask for anything. She just wants to be loved. In her two decades in the public eye, from painfully shy royal bride to the most famous, most photographed woman, perhaps even the best loved woman on the planet, Princess Diana's impact was unique, extraordinary and profound. And 22 years after her death, she still continues to touch the lives of millions. I think it's just a tremendous loss to the world that Diana's life was cut short. Aged only 36, she did so much in her short lifetime. Can you imagine the potential that could have been for the next 36 years? The joy she would have given people and the joy she would have had in return from seeing her sons marry the women they love and seeing her grandchildren. She's been robbed of all of that. I think she really shook things up and sent a message and that'll be her greatest legacy. I think Diana was the modernizer. I don't think she realized she was doing it. And what she did was, was bring the public that served them, the royal family closer together in that what we see now with William and, and, and Kate and Harry and Meghan is a repeat really of where their mother was. If the greatest tragedy of Diana's early death was the two little boys she loved and left behind, it's also true that those boys have grown up to be her greatest legacy. But you know, at the end of the day, at least she gave us William and Harry, and they are Diana's lasting legacy to the world, and they will continue 
their mother's work. She had them long enough to instill in them her hopes, her dreams, and her ideals. And that's what we see today. So she's not really gone. We see her through her son's eyes. They will continue her work and do what she would have wanted. She raised those boys to be warm, to be human, to be connected to the world, to understand that their royalty was something special, but they had to be understanding that there were people in the world who were needy and who were not like them. And she brought them up to be the very special young men they turned out to be. And I think that she would be hugely proud of them today at how they've taken the lessons that they learned from her. And, and I think, you know, she would have found the wedding to Meghan Markle just the most wonderful validation, in a sense, of all her own values. And she would have found, I think, Meghan an enchanting addition to the royal family. So she won in the end. Our investigations in Paris, at least for the time being, are over. And our time together attempting to do justice to the life and death of Diana, Princess of Wales, has also come to a close. But this should not be the end of the story. The evidence and new information we have uncovered deserves an official review. And Lee Van Tan, as I believe, undisputedly the driver of the white Fiat Uno that clipped Diana's speeding car, needs to be properly questioned. I think... As a matter of urgency, this information should be conveyed to an officer of the court. And the best person I can think of to receive that information would be Michael Mansfield QC. Michael Mansfield is still active in the law. He's involved in many causes. He has actually retired from the bar, but he's remains an officer of the court and he would be the right person to begin this with because if it is reported to the French police or the British police uh, then there will be the temptation or the possibility anyway that somehow the information will be buried. All of our materials, research and findings are available to the relevant authorities and we look forward to hearing from them. Fingers crossed. This has been Fatal Voyage. Diana, case solved. And I've been your host, Colin McLaren. Thank you for listening. You know what I think sometimes? When we heard the news, we all stopped in our tracks. And I think for one millisecond, the world just stopped and took notice. What was that? What just happened then? And I've thought about it throughout the years, and it can only be a five-letter word, which is called magic. Fatal Voyage, Diana, Case Solved is hosted by me, Colin McLaren, executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Billy Spear and written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Aaron Tinney and Doug Montero. With additional research by me, Colin McLaren. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz, Sam Adder and Benstown. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage, Diana, Case Solved wherever you get podcasts.